Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is a brand new chapter of our show. We just moved from the 12.15 spot to the 8 o'clock spot. And so um, our desire this uh, the, for these first few programs at this new spot is to tell you why we call ourselves The Gospel for Life. And it's basically this, that the gospel is not just that thing that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's not that we believe in Jesus Christ at the beginning of our salvation and then put him aside for bigger and better things. No, the gospel is for every aspect of our life. And um, in the studio today to talk about this, um, we have um, one of our regular hosts, Phil Moran. Pastor Phil, good to see you today, brother. Yeah, great to be here, as always. Now, uh, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Russ are not in the studio. Uh, please pray for Jonathan. He is um, still recovering from his surgery, and I think I think Russ is playing golf somewhere or something. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> now, he doesn't actually play golf. I just hope he's listening so he can, you know. <laughs> um, but in the studio today, um, Pastor Matt Marino. So this, um, this, this man um, we met 10 years ago. And uh, Pastor Matt um, took me under his wing and discipled me for like eight years. And outside of my my father, he's the one who's most humanly responsible for making me a pastor. So, brother, good to have you in the in the studio today. Great to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. yeah. And you're over at so you're helping uh, Jonathan right now, mm-hmm. um, kind of filling in pulpit stuff for him. Yeah. And we're just uh, wrapping up the next two weeks. Wrapping up Jonah, although uh, give or take, you know, when this airs. Um, and then I, I have a. A mind to, to do a study in John 17, the high priestly prayer. I just talked to Jonathan about that. And uh, so that'll be fun, uh, just an exposition of that. Yeah. Super good chapter. One of the best chapters in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what we started yesterday was we were looking at the book of First Corinthians. Now, can one of you guys give us just a you know 30,000-foot view um, of First Corinthians so that our listeners kind of understand what the book is about? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians deals with a number of issues in the Corinthian church. And, you know, they, the, the Corinthian church had a, a lot of, a significant number of problems. Uh, there was sexual immorality in the church. Uh, there was a party spirit, uh, division in the church. Um, there was uh, rumbling against Paul and against his authority. And let me, let me, let me back up by saying, if ever you begin to think that there was a pristine beginning of the church. People sometimes look at the church today and they get cynical because they see division and they see uh, different denominations and churches squaring off and arguing with one another. They see problems in the church. They see hypocrisy in the church. They see sin in the church. And they think, wow, how far we've fallen from the original. You know, if only we could go back to the pristine days to the good old um, days when the Christians were going to the prostitute temples. Man, that would just be yes, fantastic. that would just be it? fantastic. <laughs> yes. 
right from the beginning, you know, the the the, the Christian, the Church of Jesus Christ has been called of God and set apart, and also at the same time completely human and filled with filled with broken people. Yeah, and that's the only kind of people we've got. And uh, Paul doesn't give up on them, and and the Holy Spirit of God doesn't give up on them or us. Uh, and that's why we have a whole lot to learn from the book of First Corinthians. They had a lot of problems. And Paul dealt with every one of them by appeal to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, um, Matt, real quick, when we say that the gospel is, you know, really the solution to all these problems, and, and we're kind of taking Paul's, you know, following Paul's lead here, do we mean something very simplistic by that, or do we mean something more nuanced by that? How how would you explain the idea that the gospel really is the solution for our problems in life? Yeah, that's uh, it's very nuanced just because there's so many ways to answer it. You could answer it from the perspective of God's Word. The Gospel is really the core of God's Word. And if you look at it in the New Testament alone, all the things that are said about God's Word, that it's all these comparisons to food and drink and to basic nourishment. It's not just the power of God to save at the beginning, but it's also, um, I always like to say, it's, it's the DNA of our spiritual life, of the body of Christ, which is relevant for mm-hmm. chapter 12. But... So, you know, and, and then specifically getting in from the Word to, um, to that shape, that the, that cross shape that the DNA takes in the body of Christ, um, the author of Hebrews says that it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And so it's not simply uh, the Word of God that nourishes us, which, which would be great enough and true enough, but it's, it's the gospel. You know, in, in Paul's second letter, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, after he had said that the God of this world has blinded the, the mind of, and the eyes of the unbeliever uh, to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel, verse 6 um, says that, that the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, you know, the original creation, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so there's this, um, the way God saved us, the contours of the good news is, is, this, is the source and the shape of our lives. It's what builds Christians. It's what makes us fit for eternity. And so it's, it's no wonder then that it solves the problems of arrogance and division and all the other things we'll see is that that good news is exactly the means by which God uh, rescues us from this world and starts building us for eternity. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So yesterday we looked at chapter 1 where Paul basically began opening up the problems that the Corinthian church had by dealing with this issue of uh, party spirit, as you, as you said. Uh, I follow Paul's, uh, I follow Paulus, I follow Christ. Now, we didn't get to that last one, so I want to touch on that before we move on. What does that mean? Um, What does he mean here? I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I or I follow Christ. Why would he include that one? Isn't that what what we should be doing is following Christ? Yeah. I have have a book on my shelf. We did talk about this before we went on the air, but I have a book on my shelf called Christians Only. It's a history of a particular group that started in the 19th century, and one of their expressed motives is to get beyond denominational factionalism and dividing the body of Christ and to simply think of ourselves as Christians. The, the problem is that the way they had to do that was to criticize all the other denominations for being so divisive and so on. And so, you know, I call the, this, this approach as sort of the label peelers from all the, all the things that God has given faithful pastors and shepherds to, you know, sheep need labels and warnings and instructions and stuff. And so uh, that in and of itself is not divisive. And so this last group here, this last banner, just says Christians only or just Christ. Well, Paul puts that in the same police investigation lineup of the people that are guilty that he's saying, no, that's that's not what solves the problem division, just saying, well, I'm a Christian, not like you guys. Yeah, 
And it's, it's the context there that determines because he's been talking about these different factions. And the, sometimes, sometimes commentators have called these the super Christians of, of Corinth, uh, who, you know, we are the, we, we're the Marine Corps, we're the, we're the spiritual ninja because we're Jesus alone. Yeah. And yeah, well, we're above the need for human teachers like you guys. Yes, yes. And though, you know, one would think that that's where we want to be, yes and no. Yes, we want to be Christ alone, but with a, without a party spirit. Yeah, yep. So yesterday we, we saw how Paul dealt with this party spirit by pointing to the doctrine of election, yep. which I think we could talk about that show after show after show, because I just think that that's such a fascinating way of dealing with, with arrogance and divisiveness. But let's move on to chapter two. So in chapter two, there is the church here is complaining about um, Paul's apostleship. I mean, basically, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, the sophists, the, the Greek philosophers who were very practiced at, at rhetoric, were coming in, and they were wowing the, the Corinthian church. And they were comparing Paul's speech patterns to the patterns of the sophists, and they're basically saying, we like the sophists, Paul, you're of weak speech. Yeah. Um, and so there's this issue of, well, what is, what is true preaching? What is true teaching? So maybe you guys can maybe flesh out that problem a little bit more and then show us how Paul gives us the solution to that problem. Yeah, um, and, and Paul, in a way, I mean, he does a jujitsu on them. He, he says, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Mr. Slick. Not uh, Matt Slick. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, we're not talking <laughs> about Matt Slick. Uh, <laughs> he, I, I'm not slick like these, uh, you know, the, the, the Greek uh, the, the preachers of Greek wisdom. Um, and I came to you knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul, Paul takes as his authority, you know, it's as if he's saying, well, look at, look at the content of, of what I've conveyed to you. Uh, Christ and him crucified. And by the way, Christians, right down to today, the power of any preaching is not in the presentation. Mm. It's in, and you can, you can, you know, you can turn on the particularly, you know, you can turn on the TV and be wowed by people who are really, really gifted at presentation. And man, they can, they can draw you in and grab you by the heart and pull you in with the power of their presentation. That doesn't mean they're conveying the truth of the gospel. Uh, we are so easily fooled by that. You know, I, I, I think back in church history, uh, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel that this continent ever produced was Jonathan Edwards, uh, who preached uh, during the, uh, the First Great Awakening, the early 1700s, impacted the lives of, lives of tens of thousands of people. And uh, Edwards used to read his sermons in a monotone from a little book that he held in one hand, a little, a little, uh, he took a, he had a, like a blank booklet that he hand wrote his sermons in, and then would stand there and read them. Yeah. And it wasn't the power of his presentation yeah. that convicted people and led them to Christ. It was the content. It was the gospel. Yes. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, "I came among you. I, I came among you with nothing but Christ and Him crucified." It's the power of that message. Yes. Oh, I was, I was going to add to that. Um, you know, the contrast to that eloquence, which is what Paul's really shunning here, 
this is even rooted back in chapter one when he talks about wisdom versus you know God's wisdom. And there's a little tongue in cheek thing going on there. Paul's not saying, um, therefore, don't prepare notes when you preach. Therefore, just wing it. You know, yeah. right. be spiritual, things like that. Right. And it's easy to look back on that. Maybe read the commentaries and see. Well, the Corinthians they were into philosophy. They were into that kind of eloquence, and we don't really have that problem. The, the trick, though, is that every culture has their form of eloquence. Uh, for us, eloquence may not be philosophizing. Mm-hmm. Our, our form of eloquence is a false winsomeness or a chumminess. Or, or uncertainty. Uncertainty, exactly. And I think that's the core of it is, is this sort of postmodern uncertainty. And what Paul is, is going to highlight to contrast that is the, is the contours of the cross. In other words, uh, the way you escape that kind of uh, false winsomeness or uncertainty today is to highlight that. So it's not style, it is substance. It, the, the real issue is um, to proclaim nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. doesn't mean you don't talk about anything else. Paul talks about you know the nature of God, uh, the afterlife, and, and all sorts of things. But in all of the topics that we talk about is the cross at the center and, spe- and the specific cross of Scripture, uh, getting the gospel right, in other words, is really what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. right. I agree with you that we have our own form of eloquence saying, in fact, I was listening to Michael Horton yesterday, and he was talking about how what's going on um, in, in a lot of social network circles right now is there's a new description of the church that is being laid out for people to hear, and it's it's this, karaoke followed by a TED Talk. <laughs> that's, that's right. I mean, you know, that, that, that's pretty descriptive. That's that's funny, and it hurts. Yeah. Yep. And and you know, Lord, 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 deliver us from that. Yeah, because we're all prone to it. I mean, that's why Paul's admonition here is not just for a, a Greek audience 2,000 years ago. This is for us right now, that the, the power and the substance of your life does not come in mere words or mere style. It comes in the substance of the gospel. That's why he says in, in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see you next time. <laughs>